Lawrence Roussel scores! Welcome into episode 17 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. My name is Doug. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And I am Pete. You can follow me at Pete underscore gas. You can follow this podcast at Canucks Speak. Doug, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it was a fairly quiet week for Canucks games for the most part. Yeah, just the two games. Yeah, uh, there was a big game, obviously, that uh, you and I got to go to, along with uh, Braden from the PP1 podcast. It's true. Uh, we got to go see the Alex Burroughs game in person. That was that was pretty awesome, man. It was. Uh, I got the bobblehead on my desk. Thanks for uh, finding that for me. I appreciate that. Uh, to be honest, I didn't find it. Someone left it on my desk, but I already have one, so I decided to be a nice guy and give it to you. Well, that was that was just nice of you, Doug. This, uh, that's being a team player right there. You know, you got the pucks in deep. You got to finish your checks. Uh, you know, keep your head up. Uh, keep them on target and uh, get Pete the bobbleheads. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I try my best to be a team player, man. <laughs> but yeah, the Burroughs, that was, it was pretty sweet. I thought he did a great speech. Uh, I really liked that. The video, as usual, the Canucks videos this year being on point, they've done a really good job with that. And I know we've talked about that before, but uh, I thought the whole night was, was really good. And it was nice to see a guy like Alex Burroughs. We talked about him a lot last week, but overall, just they did a great job. Yeah, it was really great to be in the building as well and just to kind of see the energy in the building. And the Canucks jumped out to a, an amazing start. I believe they were up 4 nothing after the first period. And, yeah, the building was just pumping and everyone was excited, you know. Uh, random high fives would be thrown around to random strangers, which is always fun. And, uh, yeah, overall, it was just a great night and a great experience. I know it uh, got a little hairy when the, it looked like the Ottawa Senators were making a bit of a comeback. The crazy thing about that game, and, again, we won't take too much time into that game, but I believe the Canucks gave up, like, 45 shots. Yeah, it was another one of those just... It just We were getting badly outshot. It was a snoozer of a second period as well. But, yeah, they, we, I think we were outshot, and somehow Demko didn't get one of the stars of the game. No, I was a little surprised by that as well. Uh, I didn't think uh, the goals he gave up were soft goals or by any means, but... Uh, Obviously, the amount of energy that Russell gave to the team, I think that was duly noted. Uh, I believe Zach McEwen and Adam Gaudet were the other stars, if memory serves. I, th- I think that's right. Yeah, I think it was those three. And um, yeah, Antoine Roussel coming back into the lineup, three goals in two games. Uh, he's on pace for, uh, I think, 120 goal a year or something right now. Uh, you know, <laughs> at, uh, um, what? How nice is that? that, that first shift, getting that goal in there and... I've said this before, we've kind of forgotten about the Antoine Roussel effect and getting him and Furlan back, that was a nice little push that we needed. Yeah, I think Roussel definitely uh, will help this team moving forward. He's a guy, and I know we oh, I feel like we talk about this at nauseum every episode, but he's a guy that can play up and down the, the line. He brings a lot of energy, and I know you've kind of brought this up too, that you almost think that he can almost be a little bit of a mentor to some of these guys like a Jake Vertanen or you know, uh, a Josh Levo or Adam Gaudet even. And that line in particular uh, really stood out to us at the game. And uh, arguably, they've probably been one of the more, you know, fun lines to watch for the Canucks uh, since they became an official line uh, against the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, I think this past week, they've been the most interesting line for Canucks Nation, for sure. It's just nice to see this guy that we'd all kind of forgotten about, and Antoine Roussel, come back in, do what he's done, score a bunch of goals, and you got Adam Gaudet, who's just playing lights out right now. And then Jake Vertanen, who has a little bit of a stride back in his step as well. It's It's been really fun to watch. It's been uh, 
maybe we have a top nine now. Maybe we have a third line that can score. But it's been it's been great watching this uh, return of Roussel and what what he's brought to the team. Yeah, I mean, I think Jake Vertanen's very much one of those guys who kind of plays up or down to the players he's playing with. And right now, his game is he's playing very well with Gaudet and Roussel, and they're one of the. Like I said, they're they're really hard on the puck and they're creating turnovers and they're getting great scoring chances. And, you know, that's what you want on your third line. You want that line to be energetic and to kind of give life to the rest of the players, you know. So they have a great shift and then the top line comes out and Besser and Petey are buzzing all of a sudden. Horvat, Pearson and Levo are buzzing. Beagle, Erickson and whoever else is playing are just trying not to give up a goal and uh, everything's gravy. Bertanen, three helpers in the last two games. Hasn't scored, but he's, he's had a lot more life. Do you think having a guy like Antoine Roussel holds Jake Bertanen a little bit more accountable? I hope so. But, I mean, that that is arguably being one of my biggest criticisms of Bertanen. And generally, it's a big criticism I have of people in general, especially at work, about <laughs> not being accountable. And that's one of my big things. It's just like being accountable and I don't feel like Jake is accountable most of the time and I hate to hearken back to preseason and you know how he came in overweight why okay I shouldn't say he's overweight but he didn't hit the goal that had been set for him in the offseason to achieve uh he got bag skated you know he looked like he he wasn't ready or prepared for training camp and to me that's just not accountable right he's not being accountable for his conditioning or his career as an NHL player but he is a guy who is streaky and he does play up to the level of players he's playing with. And so I do think that Vertanen hopefully can kind of get that fire lit under his ass by a guy like Rossell. Rossell definitely, to me, seems like a guy who would be very vocal in the locker room and wouldn't be afraid to kind of call guys out or make sure guys are, you know, being held accountable for their play away and on the puck. Yeah, and it's not just him as well. It's it's the Furland effect. It's the Sutter effect. It's the Beagle effect. Um, just side note on Beagle. Did you see that a video of him playing street hockey in uh, East Van? Yeah, that was really cool, man. I mean, I as you know, a young kid who used to play street hockey with his friends, and it was weird. The two players I would always want to be when we'd play street hockey was either obviously Pavel Bure, and the other guy I would always want to be was actually Alexander Dag. <laughs> Funny enough, you know, with the Ottawa Senator tie in there, but. You know, I was I was on the hype train with Dag when he was first drafted. I believe he was the first rookie to make a million dollars in the NHL. Uh, but yeah, it was so cool. I can only imagine, you know, what it meant to those kids to have Beagle show up randomly and start playing street hockey with him. And I love the fact that he didn't really hold back either. No. <laughs> but again, this is what I mean is that there's more guys who can hold players like Vertanen accountable. Uh, I, I really do believe that with Jake Vertanen, this is the year for him to either put up or he's going to get put out. I think this is kind of the last kick at the can. And we, we talk about it a lot with Chris as well, with this glutton of wingers that we have coming up. And there's more kids we didn't even touch on on the horizon with playing over in Europe. So I think with Vertanen, this is his year. you got to make the claim or it could be his last year in Vancouver. Uh, yeah, and that's a good point, Pete. I don't know if we uh, brought it up uh, yet, but uh, we are joined by Chris Faber in the next segment to talk all things Canucks and kind of talk about the... Twitter meltdown that uh, Canucks uh, Twitter went through uh, last Friday as well. And, and a lot of stuff on the ice and with the comments too. Chris, is uh, a lot of you guys know, is, is a really good follow out there on Twitter and puts out a lot of good content. So we have a really good conversation. We didn't get to everything we want to talk about. It was one of those ones we could have kept going. But Chris is our guest. And we also 
as usual, we didn't plug our Spotify. No, we did not. So, uh, yeah, as always, please give our Spotify account a listen. It's Canucks Speakeasy. Uh, we're building an ever-growing playlist with the outro tracks we use for every one of our episodes. So there'll be an additional outro track in this episode that will be added to the Spotify playlist. So, yeah, man, if you like some funky instrumental beats, uh, give it a follow and, uh, yeah, give it a listen. Yeah, Canucks Speakeasy outro tracks. We're big Canucks nerds, but we're also big music nerds as well. And travel nerds. That, that pretty much sums us up in a heartbeat. Uh, moving on uh, the lines, let's talk uh, about something that we, we've chatted about a bit and we're all very aware of in Canucks Nation. It's how we protect a lead. Yeah, it's definitely been an issue for the Canucks this year. Uh, I think one of the big things that comes to mind is the fact that the Canucks are actually scoring a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not noticing the goals against as much as you think you would be because the Canucks are one of the highest uh, goal-scoring teams in the league. Uh, I'm going to pull it up right here. So in the Pacific Division, the Canucks are second in goal differential with plus 12. Leading the Pacific Division in goal differential, surprisingly, is actually the Arizona Coyotes. They're being a surprise uh, across the league, man. Yeah, and then the Canucks are actually third in the entire Western Conference in goal differential with... Uh, Colorado being number one with plus 28, as I mentioned, Arizona with plus 14, and the Canucks with plus 12. Uh, But the Canucks have given up 91 goals on the year, uh, which is pretty close to the average amount of goals that other teams in the Western Conference have given up. It's a mediocre amount to give up. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I mean, middle of the pack, mediocre, you know, middling, however you want to, you know whatever adjective you want to use, uh, I'm sure it's fine. But, yeah, I don't know what it is. I know that's kind of always been an issue with this Canucks team as of the past four or five years about giving up late leads. And you always see that, you know, the Canucks have a two-goal lead heading into the third, and then their opposition scores an early goal in the third, and then you're like, oh boy, here we go. And you can tell that the Canucks are just kind of clenching their sticks and got their heels back and... They're doing whatever they can to hold on to the lead. Uh, the defense, for whatever reason, I don't know, they just, they're not reading some of the plays or they're kind of getting caught, you know, still-footed or fleet-footed and, you know, cross-ice passes are going over to guys who there should be a guy on and, you know, unfortunately, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit of a concern. Well, here's what I don't get, is the Canucks are an offensive team. They actually are tied for fifth in the league in goals for, and we, I can't believe we're actually an offensive team after what we've had to go through for the past couple of years, but we are. That's how the team wins games. They just scored 11 goals in the last two games since we did a podcast, which is, again, that five-plus trend. But they don't play with the lead often the same way. They, they do the sit-back, protect, their outlet passes go soft, the defense doesn't attack at all. And the forwards just kind of play a, a bit of a weird trap game. I, I don't understand why they just don't follow the formula that works and just play balls to the wall the whole time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like uh, it's almost like the prevent defense in football, right? You're playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. Yeah, interesting. I mean, the Canucks are second in the entire Western Conference in goals four with 103. Colorado, again, leading the way with 107. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously scoring is not really an issue for this team and the balance scoring they're getting is also great, but 
yeah, it, it is a concern. And I know Edler's been out, but even you know when Edler was healthy, he was playing during that Pittsburgh debacle. Do you think getting some of these vets back, it sounds like Sutter is going to play tomorrow as well. So all of a sudden, you could put together a third line. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, all of a sudden, everyone's back. Well, or sorry, not third line, fourth line. I guess you what, Sutter, Beagle, and Schaller? I, I don't know. Like you got all these bodies now that you can put out there. But do you think that having all these guys back, especially a Sutter and a, and a Beagle, can kind of help stabilize this a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, the problem is if... if, if then I guess you're sitting Furland, right? No, I just realized that. I was like, wait, yeah. Furland's on the second line. Furland's got to be out there, too. I mean, it sounds like maybe Schaller sits a game. Uh, you've got a logjam all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy. And I, I honestly think Schaller's actually played decent, especially with Beagle and Sutter being hurt for as long as they were. He picked up, you know, the fourth-line center position and played relatively admirably at it but i do think that yeah a guy having like having a guy like sutter back in the mix should help this team kind of shut down and close games uh and again i've been one of the guys much like yourself pete that just wanted to ship sutter out of vancouver uh calling back to the classic brian burke line i drive his ass to the airport myself <laughs> but that being said it's hard not to think that he has been a a bright spot for this team early on the year and he's definitely helped the team kind of solidify leads and close games and yeah i i definitely think he's going to help the team uh moving forward yeah i've changed my stance on sutter as well i think it's it's, it's apparent as well with uh when you watch the team play when he's not in the lineup and again chuck beagle in there as well that they struggle uh, a lot of these younger guys uh struggle with a team that comes at them in waves and let's not kid ourselves buffalo has offense now. They have offense. Washington, they have offense. Pittsburgh, they have offense. And those are the teams that they maybe not don't scout as much, Eastern Conference teams that have a lot of offense. And that's where it would really help to have guys like Sutter, who used to play in Pittsburgh, Beagle, who used to play in Washington, have those guys in the lineup to, to help protect it. Furlan used to play in Carolina as well. So I think it's it's something that they got to work on, but they need uh, to get some of these vets back to help kind of stabilize it. I also wanted to go back to some of the goals for and goals against stats that we we're looking at do you know without looking i know you got some stats up there too but do you know which teams have the worst five goal differential in the league just take a stab at it um well i don't think that's a fair question because i do kind of have it in front of me <laughs> um but yes i i believe uh, the worst in the league because we actually talked about it earlier before i actually looked up the statistics was Detroit. And not even close. Detroit is minus 58. New Jersey is second worst at minus 35. If you got the stats open, then this will take the fun out of the guessing game. I'll, I'll just read through it. You got LA in there. Not really a surprise either. Columbus, eh, maybe a surprise. I'm not even sure who their goalie is. But the one that really surprises me, and the team that has given up the second most goals in the league, is San Jose. Minus 23, and they've given up the second most goals in the league as well. Well, and look, San Jose, they're kind of all in this year, right? They're trying to win a cup. And obviously they signed Carlson to that huge deal. They still have, I mean, Joe Thornton, they got a sweetheart deal. But they, they have guys like Logan Couture, you know, signed to a pretty good deal. Um, obviously, Team, Brent Burns is on the team as well. Timo so Meyer, Kevin LeBanks on a ridiculous deal. Yeah, so they they, they got some guys, uh, obviously Thomas Hurdle as well. Patrick Marlowe. They, 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 they basically put a lot of this money, and this is what I'm going with this, is between the Burns and the Carlson, and even Vlasic as well, they've got a lot of money in their top three blue liners, and they're second worst in the league in goals against. Well, I think a lot of that actually has to do with 
with the goaltending. So I don't know. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I've kind of you know been claiming for six months now that I don't think the value of goalies is as big as it used to be. And it's going to be tough for the Canucks to actually make a move if they're in a playoff spot to trade a guy like Jacob Markstrom, even though he's a UFA at the end of the year. But who knows? I mean, I, I would think San Jose has to be in the market for a goalie, right? And uh, I, don't know, I forget the name of their goalie. I know he's actually a BC kid. Martin Jones? Jones. Jones just isn't getting it done. And, you know, even to just kind of have someone there as like a security blanket that you can turn to if you need. I mean, would you be able to make a move for, you know, uh, and again, the Canucks already have a gluttony of forwards. But, you know, Jacob Markstrom for Kevin LeBanc. Or can you maybe squeeze a first-round pick out of San Jose? I don't even know if they have a first-round pick this coming year or not. Um but could you squeeze a first-round pick out of them, you know, and recoup that first-round pick we had to give up to get JT Miller? They don't have a first-rounder. Um, I believe that was probably part of the Carlson deal. Uh, they have a second. Uh, they don't have a their own third. They got a Philly third. So they got some picks in there. But I do agree San Jose would be a good landing spot. Uh, they have a little bit of cap space. Um, I'd, I'd be fine with if the Canucks could get some picks back myself, maybe even a seconder. Uh, first in a later year, who knows? But it's uh, it's something to consider right now because you're right. Um, their their goaltending with uh, Jones and Dell has not been completely amazing. And the interesting thing, they got Jones locked up for four more years after this. A guy like Markstrom would work in their situation where he is UFA, and then they can decide what they want to do afterwards. But if they're looking at it as like, hey, we need to get in the playoffs and we need to do a bit of a run here, he could be the guy. Yeah, I I definitely think that. That should be something that the Canucks explore. It's going to be hard if the Canucks are in the middle of a playoff run, you oh, know, and to, they, to, to look at trading a guy like Markstrom. Are you going to really rely on Demko to get, get you to the finish yeah, line? Yeah, that's the thing right now is that the Canucks are ahead of San Jose in the standings with games in hand. So it, it doesn't really make sense to even be having this discussion in a lot of ways. But I know it's something that uh, we, we've talked about a lot is what do they do with the goalies in the looming Seattle uh, expansion draft coming up as well. Yeah, I believe Rick Dollywall actually just wrote a pretty good article for The Athletic about that. So, uh, obviously, if you're not following Rick Dollywall, what's wrong with you? Yeah, why are you even listening to us uh, yeah. if that's the case? Uh, doing but wrong. definitely give that article a read as well. And, uh, yeah, like I know you and I have been talking for what feels like almost every episode uh, about the pending goalie situation and what the Canucks do. I don't see Markstrom. I know a lot of people feel like, oh, yeah, sign Markstrom to a three-year deal at $5.5 million. I don't know if Markstrom's going to look to sign a deal like that, especially if a team has money to give him, like a San Jose. Or I mean, I know Koskinen is playing decent right now for Edmonton. Him and um, um, Mike Smith are kind of sharing the load, but there are definitely some teams that are going to probably not pay stupid Bobrovsky money, but they would probably pay Markstrom upwards of $6 million, I would think, on a three- or four-year deal. If someone's going to pay Markstrom six, like a six-by-six, six, let's just say... The best thing for the Canucks to do is let him walk. Oh, I think they have to. I, I don't think I don't think they could sign Markstrom to that kind of deal because the problem with that, in my opinion, Seattle probably maybe they would, but I couldn't see them wanting to commit to Markstrom to six years, um, and then you're pretty much letting Demko go, right? And I, I don't I don't want to do that. You're not letting Demko go. If if that's the thing, if Markstrom stays with the Canucks, he's exposed to Seattle one way or another, unless you make a side deal. Um, I, I personally don't think it's the end of the world right now. Right now, we got two good goalies. I'm happy with that for the moment. Um, I did want to circle back to the blue line, though, because we are talking about San Jose's blue line. 
Uh, but what was nice to see this past week is our blue line start to chip in and get some points as well. Yeah, it looks like um, Myers got a couple more points this year, this uh, past week, including a goal. Including a goal, it was actually a nice goal as well. It was jump and, rush, and uh, Jamie Ben as well. You know, I mean, he's quietly having a really Jordan, solid Jordy. Jordy pardon me, Jordy. Uh, he's quietly having a really solid year for the Canucks. I think overall. Yeah, he's been he's been good, I think, and a lot of times you don't notice him out there, but he's been uh, another veteran presence on the blue line. Well, and one thing you brought up to me today, Pete, which I actually looked up myself, and I was actually blown away because you 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 gave me a little question. You're like, do you realize that Jordy Ben and now Tyler Myers yeah. have both more points than PK Subban? And yeah, I, I poached that off of someone else on Twitter, so I, I can't take all the credit for it, but I started looking more into it. Yeah, P.K. Subban's got five points. Jersey's just a mess right now. Yeah, and I know there was a lot of uh, a lot of clamoring from Canucks fans uh, about you know acquiring P.K. Especially because I didn't think uh, the Devils really had to give up a lot to acquire him. It was more of a salary dump for Nashville. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's P.K. himself or if it's just what's going on in Jersey. They recently did fire their head coach, but uh, yeah. And again, look, I'm. You can cherry pick anything you want, right? I'm not trying to, but it it is slightly, you know, I don't know, interesting, I guess, that the fact that uh, PK, uh, you know, he's got less points than Tyler Myers and Jordy Ben through 29 games. Who would have thought that? 30 years, and he's got two more years left after this at nine million per. So I don't think he's going anywhere uh, without a big resurgence. Five points in 29 games. He's a minus 15. That's uh, that's not great. No, not at all. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think the defense on the offensive side of things has really picked up. One thing, uh, I believe we touched on a little bit, but uh, I definitely think uh, the Quinn Hughes-Tyler Myers pairing actually looks really good. Mm-hmm. And I'd actually like to see uh, Baumgartner stick with uh, that pairing moving forward, even when Edler is healthy. Yeah, I've liked it as well. Yeah, and I think you know Tanev and Ben have looked good, and then you know hopefully uh, Green will you know start using Stetcher more, and you put Stetcher with Edler and... Uh, I think that's kind of more balanced minutes for all six of the D. And and even Fantenberg. I mean, you, I, right now I believe Fantenberg and Stetcher are playing together as well. And Fantenberg's look decent. Um, but, yeah, I really like that Hughes-Myers line and or pairing part of me. And I know a lot of people were worried about Myers playing with Hughes and how it was going to be, you know, an anchor to Hughes' offensive ability. Uh, but overall, uh, yeah, I think they've looked really good. And Myers looks to kind of... His offensive game has stepped up just because he's paired with Hughes. I would like to say, we've, we've talked about Stetcher and ice time a lot. That Ottawa game, he was second on the team that game in ice time behind only Tyler Myers. So he, he's getting a little bit more there. Um, he was definitely, uh, the game against Buffalo, he was fifth among Canucks defensemen, which is kind of where he's been normally. But even then, he had 18-plus minutes. And the game against Buffalo, he had close to 21. Or Sorry, against Ottawa, sorry, he had 21. So he's, he's getting a bit more. I know that's because of the Edler injury, and he's got to get leaned on a bit more. But it does feel like we've been talking a lot about how much ice time Troy Stetcher's getting. Yeah, I mean, I think Stetcher, you want a guy like him, in my opinion, ideally playing probably between 15 to 18 minutes a game in a perfect world. But I know there was a couple of games this year where he played barely, he barely played 11 minutes. Yeah. And to me, that's... Yeah. That's poor utilization, in my opinion. I agree. Sometimes uh, the the deployment by Green leaves me scratching my head a little bit. But he is getting more ice time last two games, averaging about 19 minutes. That's that's more in line with where we like him. 
Moving from the big clubs deep, just before we get into our conversation with Chris here, let's quickly, we haven't had our weekly Oleo Levy update, and Doug, we've got some good news this time. Oleo Levy's returned to Utica, and he's played a couple of games now. I believe they're playing right now as we speak. And his first game back, he got an assist. I don't think it was a primary assist, but it was still an assist, and by all accounts, he's looked good. I mean, yeah, it was weird. I, I think the official word on the injury was hip soreness. And yeah, they flew him out to Vancouver. The team doctors looked at him. For whatever reason, they didn't release any information until he was already back in Utica. And I believe he'd actually, it was the day he was going to be back in the Utica lineup playing the game. They finally, I think Benning finally came out and said it was hip soreness he was a little worried about. And so for precautionary reasons, they wanted to have the team doctors in Vancouver look him over. And apparently it's all good and he's feeling better and He's contributing to the Utica comments, which is a great sign. Um, I know my uh, Yul Levy fandom probably seems like it's really high. I wouldn't say I'm a huge Yul Levy fan, but he's to me, he's probably one of the most intriguing prospects in the system. And I do think uh, a lot of people have kind of decided to kind of give up on him. And I, I mean, his strongest attribute is between the years. He's a very smart player and he thinks the game well and... I still think he has a future with this team, provided he can stay healthy, which obviously has been his biggest issue so far. But I think moving forward, if the guy can stay healthy, he can definitely be a top four contributor to this blue line moving forward. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited to have him back. Here's hoping he stays healthy. Um, And then one last thing with uh, defenseman prospects. You see that Jet Wu goal the other day. Yeah, the end-to-end rush. It was actually kind of funny because I believe the same thing happened last year. And I know... A lot of people were worried because Jet Wu didn't get an invitation to the World Juniors. And I, I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, you know, Wu's not really progressing. He's kind of taking a step back. But the same thing happened last year. Wu didn't get that invitation to the World Juniors. And all of a sudden, he kind of went up on a bit of a scoring streak. And he ended, you know, almost a point a game for the uh, Mushjoa Warriors last year. I know he's been traded to Calgary this year. And a new team, he's probably playing a new system, trying to find his way. But uh, I, I still really high on Wu, and I think he's got all the attributes to, again, be a, a contributing member to this blue line, you know, three, four years down the road. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, should we get into the conversation with Chris? Let's do it. All right. All right. Joining us this week, we have Chris Faber on the line. I think you all know Chris, but in case you don't, you can follow him online. Chris Faber, 39, also founder and host of the Canucks Conversation at Canucks Convo and writer for the Canucks Army. Chris, it's great to have you on the phone. How you doing? Absolutely, boys. It's good to chat with you guys again. I know we uh, had you on my show, I guess, probably about two months ago or a month ago now. So it's good to catch up with you, boys. Yeah, and it's nice to actually be talking with some NHL games and Canucks season to talk about instead of speculating over what the season will be. How have you felt about the season so far? Yeah, it's definitely been up and down. Obviously, November is a little bit of a tough one, and October was pretty great. But at the same time, I think... You know, we're seeing exciting hockey out of this Canucks team, and if you look at where they are in a rebuild, that's probably something you should be happy with at this point, that they're giving us exciting games out there. Yeah, and Chris, also, I want to give you a big shout-out and congratulations on uh, 50,000 listeners to the Canucks Conversation podcast, man. That's a, that's a pretty impressive and big milestone, dude. 
Yeah, it was. I was like looking at that number for a long time and uh, finally getting there has been pretty cool. It took over just over a year to do that. So that was kind of like a big goal for me was to hit 50,000. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a big round number. And I was pretty excited when I saw that. Uh, I was actually on a vacation on the weekend up in Mount Washington. Uh, so coming back to see 50,000 out. Yeah, definitely put a big smile on my face. So thanks for that, fellas. Yeah, that's some nice après ski right there that you can uh, lift a beer and a whiskey to. Um, yeah, absolutely. Drinking Parallel 49 Brewing Company beer, of course, boys. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely done. Um, great week for the Canucks. Uh, we're we're going to be getting into it a lot on our episode here, but a couple of games, a lot of goals. What did you think of the, the whole Burroughs moment and the tribute the Canucks did for him? Oh, it's amazing. And I mean, it's funny because I, I was just talking with someone about this and just looking at the team and seeing some of the stories that are coming through. Like, I know that Obviously, as Vancouver Canucks fans, we're really focused on the market and seeing what's going on here. But when, when Antoine Roussel is making his recovery from a torn ACL, a major injury, and he comes back on Alex Burroughs night, a guy that you know has taught him so much about becoming an NHL player, and I think a lot of Canucks fans now look at Antoine Roussel, and, and I, I think I speak for a lot of fans when I say this, like there's, there's definitely a Burroughs feel to Antoine Roussel. And then he goes out on his first shift, scores the goal. The Canucks just have an amazing night. You know, just hearing that speech, seeing Alex Burroughs talk about the city of Vancouver and what they did for him, you know, as a professional and as, as an adult too, right? Not just a hockey player, but seeing what he did off the ice. It was just so amazing to see him back, you know, in Rogers Arena and get that speech. It was, it was amazing. And on top of that, there's a Botchford project night. I mean, it just seemed like the perfect night to be in the rink there. Yeah, it was a great night. Uh, Pete and I were actually uh, at the game with uh, Braden from the PP1 podcast. And overall, just the, the whole presentation and the whole production was good. I know some people were a little bit confused or wondering why the Sedins weren't on the ice when Burroughs was doing his speech. But I think they didn't want to take away from the moment and, you know, have everyone kind of cheering for the Sedins over Burroughs. They were in the building, though. And, yeah, the, the crowd at the game was absolutely amazing. Uh, you brought up uh, Antoine Roussel, who, again, looked awesome and he scored that first goal, and he made a promise to all the Canucks fans that if he scored a goal in that game, he'd keep the mustache for the entire year, <laughs> which is great. Um, but uh, one thing that uh, definitely came out of that game that definitely impressed Pete and I was that third line with Gaudet, um, Levo, and, or no, pardon me, Vertan and, and Rossell. What are your thoughts on that line moving forward? Yeah, it's, I, I love that line. I've wrote about that line before in the past. I think going into the season, it was something I wanted to see because – Obviously, Travis Green loved to have his matchups with Brandon Sutter and J.B. Eagle, and, and he should. I mean, those guys are that type of player. They're going to match up against other teams' offensive lines and try and shut them down. But if you, if you actually look at it a little bit differently, if you think of that line as the fourth line, and you think about, say, a Beagle, Schaller, um, uh, Sutter as like a third line, that's kind of more interesting to me. They're going to play more minutes than a line like Godet, Roussel, and Bertanen probably are going to play. But the excitement that you're going to get off of that line and the energy that's just going to come away from those guys, maybe if they're only playing, you know, 9 to 13 minutes of 5-on-5 five five ice time, and I, that's perfect for that line because Jake Pretend is the type of player that you probably have to play with smart players. And that's one who has been talked about a lot as one of, the, one of the smarter players on the team about understanding, you know, passing lanes, going to the net. I mean, we see it so much. Some of his best passes are just him flicking a backhand saucer across to a guy like Cole Horvat or Jake Pretend as they're streaking in. And adding what Adam Gaudet's been able to add to his game from last season, just looking at that combination as a trio, it's just really come together. And I'm, I'm damn excited to see them. And I don't think they should break them up, especially with all these returning players coming back from injury. Completely agree. I think I've, I've been saying for a long time, top nine, top nine. And it feels like Adam Gaudet could be the building block for that top nine, be that kind of prototypical third-line center, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, absolutely. And just seeing his the way that he's kind of improving, obviously the, the lacking thing right now, Adam game is his face-off. But I think if you if you were worried about his defensive play, I think that he's put a lot of those worries you know, to bed this season because he's, he maybe isn't in the perfect position at all times, but damn, does this dude try hard. Like, he is a guy that's in the corners hard, his forecheck. And I think if, if you want to talk about his defensive game as a whole, you got to talk about what he does in the forecheck because he's in there and combining that with Antoine Roussel and Jake McCann it. It is, when it's clicking, that's got to be one hell of a third line because they have the capability of scoring so many goals. We see Adam Gaudet and what he can do on the power play. You know, if they are able to set up in the offensive zone, Gaudet is very, very aware of where he needs to be to get the puck in the back of the net. We saw him put up a ton of goals, obviously, in the NCAA, winning the Hobie Baker. And now when he gets to the NHL, if he has a player like Antoine himself come in, I mean, like, his passing is just so underrated. He's going to bring so much to a game, and one of the things that Antoine Roussel is going to bring to a line that nobody really else does on this kind of team is the energy. He's going to force you to play at his tempo, and Antoine Roussel's tempo is uh, is probably one of the top ones we'll see on this Canucks team all year. So if he can somehow get Jay Pretendon and Adam Gaudet even kind of revving up their ends a little bit more, I'm just excited to see what this line can do as we move forward. Yeah, and you brought up a great point. You uh, actually wrote a great article a few days ago on Canucks Army about Adam Gaudet and how well he's doing on the second unit power play. And in there, you kind of list some of the statistics that you just mentioned about you know, the 56 goals he scored in his uh, NCAA career, 27 of them were on the power play. And, you know, his shot, I feel like, for whatever reason, still seems to be a little bit underutilized by on the power play and by Travis Green and uh, Noel Brown. Uh, but I definitely see Gaudet, you know, starting to kind of generate the offense for the second unit power play. Uh, did you want to elaborate on that a little bit further? Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at what he's doing on the power play, um, I think I included it in the article, he's got about 25 minutes of power play time, and he's already sixth on the team in shots. I mean, he's passing guys like Alex Edler, Tyler Myers, Tanner Pierce, and all these guys who have at least 30 minutes of power play time. Adam Gaudet came in and kind of forced himself to be the guy taking the shots. We saw the game that he scored the power, second power play goal uh, in the game where he had two power play goals, and he was just right in front of the net with like one second remaining in the period. That's an example that I talked about in that article, was just talking about Adam Gaudet obviously has that good shot from the left side. He used it in college, and I, I think I mentioned, yeah, he had 27 goals that 27 power play goals in his career in college, and looking at it, I bet there was like 25 of them were just one tire to the left side. He scored a hell of a lot of goals that way. But what we're seeing him do at the NHL is something that I wrote about in the article was the positional fluidity that he's having. And that's something that I'm trying to, to talk about a lot, even though it's, I just struggled there getting it out of my mouth. But the positional fluidity of Adam Gaudet on the power play, is he's able to stay in that spot, but also recognize when the puck team moved around, say, in the, in the far right corner of the power play, you're probably not very effective if you're going to be staying in that spot on the left side just waiting for a one-timer. And the thing that Gaudet does so well on that second power play unit is forcing you know, the players to be able to find him on an open shot. And if it's in front of the net and he's able to move to that area to create the shot, or if he's able to just get down low and retrieve the puck himself, just the ability on the power play to move around so much is something that we haven't seen on a Canucks power play in a long time. And, and I hate to say it, but, I mean, if you looked at what the Sedins did on their time in the power play, though they were so effective because their passes were just amazing and they could just do it, you know, without moving too much on the ice. When you look at power plays now, like Colorado's a great example, you can watch Kale McCarr fly around the ice He's behind the net sometimes making passes. It's, you have to be able to be able to play on any part of the ice to be an effective power play. And Adam Gaudet, even though he's on a second power play, he's just so effective at moving around and finding a spot where he can get a good shot off. 
And he leads the second power play unit in goals as well, outside of the big four forwards that we got on the first line. One thing, I can hear how excited you are about Adam Gaudet, because I am too. Whereas <laughs> what, what, what I'm seeing right now, and I remember talking to you, Doug, about this at the game, was when that first assist that he had, the Antoine Roussel goal, it, it feels like the play is just kind of moving in slow motion for Gaudet a little bit more. And last season, he wasn't necessarily put in all the offensive situations. This year, he's proving that he can be relied on for it. And it does feel like the game has slowed down for him a bit more. And you're kind of seeing what he was generating in Northeastern kind of translate into the NHL a bit more so right now. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. You mentioned the game kind of slowing it down for him. It's just, for me, like watching Godet come in, I almost just feel like going from last year to this year, and I guess it's the same the same idea that you have, but it just feels like Godet right now, he, the way that he's skating, forechecking, getting in on everything, like he looks like an NHL player. Like he has the NHL step. He has the NHL stick. He's able to break up a lot of passes in the offensive zone. And that is just exactly what we wanted to see. Obviously, winning the Hobie Baker is a huge thing, but not every Hobie Baker award winner pans out to be a great NHL player. And I'm not saying that Adam Gaudet is going to be known as one of the great Canucks, but if you look at the center depth that this team has, Adam Gaudet relied upon a lot if you want to look into the future about what the center core is. Obviously, Elias Pettersson, we're seeing him play a lot less center over the year, with J.T. Miller coming in and winning a lot of face-offs with that big sweeping face-off move that he has. Obviously, Bo Horvath's going to take a million face-offs in his Canucks career, but you look to the third line, you look for a guy that can add some scoring, and I know it's something we talked about when you guys were on my show because we were kind of looking at the season as a whole and what we were expecting. We talked about that top nine and having an effective top nine that can control the goal share. Adam Gaudet is a perfect example of a center that can control the goal share, add something on the special teams, but there are parts of his game that he needs to work on. But if you see the ones that he worked on in the offseason coming into this year, that's what we're seeing so much right now. We're seeing that extra step that he has. We're seeing him be effective with the puck and stronger with the puck on his stick. You know, not an NHL. Every NHL defenseman will be able to knock the puck off of some 19-year-old stick pretty easily unless they're an elite, talented 19-year-old. But we're seeing Adam Gaudet now at his older age now to, I guess, 23 or 24, whatever he's at, we're, we're seeing him have that strength, you know, that man strength that I guess a lot of people like to call him in the NHL. And we're starting to see him develop that. And as a 23-year-old, this is a huge season for him. Is he going to be a good NHL player moving forward? Is he going to be a bust that's going to bounce between the AHL and the NHL? And he's proving right now with the six goals in 20 games that, you know, he's making a strong case, at least, to be an NHL player moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I bet you anything that he's going to spend his offseason finding a, a face-off coach and working pretty hard on that. That's the only one of his stat lines that looks like it's a little bit below what the rest of the team is. I just want oh, to yeah. also it, it sucks, too. It really yeah, sucks. Yeah, it's like you just go ahead and say that. 34%, 34% I think. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch, though, as well, back on the Antoine Roussel factor and what he could bring to that line, or what he is bringing. I mean, three goals in the first two games, but... Do you see them as sort of in a mentorship role, particularly with Jake Furtanen? Yeah, I, I loved the addition of Furling for that reason. I didn't love the addition of Furling as a whole. Uh, but I think for that reason of having a player like a Michael Furlan or an Antoine Roussel who's going to force you to get into the game emotionally, it's something that Jake just needs. Because we've seen some Jake or Tannen games where if he's getting called out by media for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then he comes out and just has a great game. And we just see him involved. And that's the biggest thing for Jay Furtanen. He has the skill set, but maybe he's not including it in every single game that he's playing in. And I know talking to Travis Green at training camp, one of the things that he mentioned was we don't expect Jake to be great for 82 games. We just want him to be good for like 60 games. And I forget the quote exactly, but he said we just want to have a good Jake Furtanen for a, like a good portion of the game throughout the season. And we're seeing that at times. I mean, Jake Furtanen does struggle with a lot of things. Um, 
especially just with the pace of play. But when you put him with a guy like Antoine Roussel, like you mentioned, like that's something that I'm just so excited because Antoine Roussel made pretty much every single player that he played with last year better. And we wanted to see that with Bo Horvat possibly with the Roussel injury coming back from it. I mean, Horvat needs a winger, and he's had a lot of success with Antoine Roussel last year in the limited minutes that they did play together. So I was kind of excited for that. But then the third line comes together, and it's like, oh, now we can just kind of <laughs> – it kind of sucks because it's like we're pushing that Horvat problem into the back once again. It's like we've been doing that for a year and a half. But uh, seeing the third line succeed is something we've had a, a problem with for probably seven years. So it's nice to see some third line production as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in order for this team to kind of, you know, take the next step, they need to get production from that third line. Uh, transitioning over to uh, kind of a hot-button topic for uh, Canucks fans this past week, uh, one of the publications you write for, we already spoke about, Canucks Army, uh, had a, had an article written by Jackson McDonald that kind of went viral. Uh, what are your thoughts on that whole kind of meltdown about, you know, the verbiage that was used uh, to describe this current Canucks team. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing, uh, obviously, as a writer, and I, I think I can speak to this as, you know, as a blogger, I think is actually what I should say, because I'm not, you know, writing for the province of the Vancouver Sun. I'm writing for CanucksArmy.com. And I think the thing that we have to do as bloggers is try to draw people in to read our articles. Canucks Army has obviously been able to do that in the past with their amazing writers that they've had before me. And just looking at some of the editors that they've had on this site, I mean, looking at guys like J.D. Burke and the work he's doing for Elite Prospects, seeing what Thomas Durant is doing with The Athletic, even guys like Harmon, who was there recently and now doing the amazing work, you need to draw people in. And those guys did an amazing job of drawing people in with the content that they're putting in their articles. And that's what I think needs to be talked about the most, is the content that's put into these articles. So Jackson did break down a lot of things in this article that, you know, make a lot of sense. And I know Jackson's even turned around a little bit, and he's one of the guys who does you know, like to criticize this team when they deserve it. And I think, I don't think he was meaning to do that with mediocre, but obviously when you say a word like mediocre and you start to look up some of the definitions of the word, it makes it look pretty bad. But at the same time, they were pretty bad in November. So if you look at them being pretty good in October and pretty bad in November, a word that comes to mind would be mediocre, I guess. But at the same time, uh, you know, Canucks Twitter is just a wild place. And if you throw a word around like mediocre, it's going to make a bigger impact than, I guess, average or pretty good. So I think Jack knew what he was doing a little bit with there. I mean, he's the managing editor of Canucks Army for a reason. He's got to draw people into his article, and it did get people talking. Uh, though maybe it wasn't the best press. I guess all press is good press or something in the end. I'm not sure how the saying goes. Yeah, I mean, look, I read the article. I didn't think he was overcritical, and I, I agree with you. I think... Jackson at times has been a little overcritical with some of his analysis about the Canucks. Um, I personally think my personal opinion is I think the fact that Jackson wrote the article, I think that's where all the contention started as opposed to what the meat and potatoes of the article was. I feel like you're, you know, very straight down the middle. You know, you criticize when criticism deserves to be, you know, someone deserves to be criticized, but you also give praise when people deserve to get praise. And I feel like if you'd written the article, you know, the exact same way Jackson wrote it, I don't know if it would have had, you know, all this pushback and all this kind of outrage from a certain, you know, section of the fan base. But I will say this. I also think in a way it was like you said, it's great press. I think that article probably has been one of the more read articles on Canucks Army. I would I would hazard to guess in the last month because of all the, you know, caught it, all the comments about it online and people, you know, wavering one way or the other. And honestly, I, I, I still think it's great. Trying to have a healthy debate between fans is always good. It's when you get into the name-calling 
And you know, the yeah. personal attacks, that's what I have yeah. an issue with. Totally, we're all on the same team. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's so true and it's, I mean, that's kind of what I mentioned there. I mean, like you said, the content in the article is a lot different than what we saw on social media. I think that you know, some people on social media, it, it's pretty amazing to see what they can say because you, you do mention a lot of people are gonna come out and attacking. I know a lot of people calling for Jackson's job. Um, the thing that people don't understand about, you know, I, I guess with Jack, I've, the funny thing is I've known Jackson, we actually went to elementary school together. We went to kindergarten together. Uh, and then like, we didn't talk for probably, you know, after high school, we didn't talk for five, six, seven, eight years. And then it's the funny thing is this guy ends up being my editor for the website that I'm running Canucks about. So I've, I've known Jackson for a long time. Uh, and the thing that people don't know about Jackson is like, he does an incredible job editing up these articles for us at Canucks Army. I know I send in my articles. Uh, and they come out and I still have to like, I have to go to dictionary.com to look up some of the words that he's throwing in there because he does an incredible job of, you know, spicing up these articles. And I think the stuff that he's doing right now at Canucks Army, you know, maybe this is his on-brand type of article to write. I mean, especially that's what people will say about Jackson and if they know his work about uh, with Canucks Army in the past. But just seeing some of the stuff that he's doing, you know, adding adding David Quadrelli to the group, adding Danny and her post games to the group has been amazing. And, and you know, seeing the work that's coming out of uh, Canucks Army over the past little bit has been pretty cool. But I do get what you guys are saying. I mean, you know, if Quads or I wrote this article, I think it would be taken a little bit differently. But that's, you know, I guess that's the brand that you put out there when you are doing this much content. You sort of lean a certain way. I mean, it's, it's no lie that I'm obsessed with talking about Nikolai Goldovin. I think that he should be given an opportunity with Patterson for a long time. It's something I talk about a ton. I know it pisses a lot of people off, but, you know, I'd, I'd probably – that's my brand, right? This is Jackson's brand to talk about the Canucks uh, in this certain way. And, and, yeah, like you said, he didn't bury the team. He didn't say the Canucks are absolutely horrible. The thing about Canucks Army is we like to use certain aspects of how we watch a game is a little bit differently than, you know, how I used to watch it. It's even if, if I'm doing a post game, I'm watching the game so much different than what I'm trying to do when I'm writing an article – and that's probably the thing that maybe some people just don't understand. Like when you're trying to put together 2,000 words about a certain topic on the Canucks team, everything you say in there is, isn't going to not offend anyone. I mean, something you say is going to offend someone somewhere in that article. And that's, that's kind of the hardest thing for people that are trying to create so much content, put out these blogs, is you want to keep people happy because keeping people happy, I think, is the best way to make your content rise to the top. If you're putting out stuff that people like to read, you know, that's, that's a way to do it. But I think at the same time, if you're putting out stuff that, you know, needs to be read or needs to be argued about, that's also a way to do it as well. So maybe it's just a little bit on brand for him to put out this one. Well, we, we appreciate it. I think at the end of the day as well, anyone writing Canucks content is a Canucks fan, and we all want the team to do well. And I think sometimes uh, different opinions, especially when you can hide behind a social media platform, I think that sometimes blurs the lines a bit. My take on it all, mediocre kind of means middle of the road. NHL power rankings came out today. Canucks are 15th, 15th out of 31. That's about as middle of the road as you can get right now, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it, it's true. It's true. I mean, media, uh, it's just funny. You know, like I, I go, like I told you guys, I went away for the weekend up to Mount Washington, and uh, I just come back and it's just like Canucks Army's going crazy in the Vancouver Twitter market right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, I'm just going to sit back and drink my parallel 49. So I didn't try. I didn't really argue with too many people. I, I, I just decided to watch people make a fool of themselves instead. <laughs> That's pretty easy to do sometimes <laughs> on, on Twitter. Um, you mentioned Goldie, and I wanted to shift gears and just talk a little bit about the comments right now. Um, we'll start with uh, Nikolai Goldobin. I know he only had a cup of coffee with the team in one game. I think he played about nine minutes. You've always been a big advocate on the free Goldie movement. Uh, he's had a strong season down with the Utica. What's your take on Goldobin and the Canucks moving forward? Yeah, it's, 
man, like when he was called up, you know, and we were missing all these wingers, there was an opportunity for him to come and play some sustained time in the top six, you know, getting opportunity with Patterson. And then he comes in and just plays horrible in the eight minutes of time that he was given. I know he was, he was out course. He's like one to 12 in that game. Uh, tough look for him because I know myself and Quads released that article of the 77 reasons why they should call him up. And uh, Jackson actually had a pretty good reply because uh, his Corsi percentage that one game that Goldova played in was 7.7, which is just absolutely horrible. But watching watching him play down in Utica uh, is kind of like the reason that I ended up, you know, getting the subscription to HLT was, was Goldovin, Boucher, Colin, Sam Berchi. These guys, they are actually, you know, all four of those guys are leading scorers, I believe, on the Utica Comets. Yeah, they and are. Watching these guys be able to play and execute their game at 100% or almost like 150% because they're playing in HL competition. Like, just seeing the way that they've been able to play and excel and grow in the case of Cole Lind or Nikolai Goldobin, I mean, Goldobin's game has changed a lot uh, from what I saw last year as an NHL player to what he is as an AHL player now. And I think the thing that needs to change from there is how does he translate the skills that he's improved on at the AHL and be able to bring that to the NHL. And I thought he did a little bit of that in the first game that he got in the NHL. But moving forward, I, uh, I don't know if there's a future really for Goldobin. Like, I, I don't want to give up a free goalie movement, but I feel like I'm going to be forced to do it pretty soon here because – uh, I don't think he's happy in this situation right now. I think that there's a ton of wingers, obviously, in Vancouver, especially if you watch the additions that they made in the offseason, whether it be in free agency or through trade. It kind of bumped Goldobin out of a position on this team. And, and that's too bad because I do think that there's skill in Nikolai Goldobin's game, enough skill to be a guy that can you know, ride shotgun with a great player and have some success. I don't think Goldobin drives the line, but I think he continues the line. And I think that's the biggest difference between a Goldobin and a Josh Levo. We saw a lot of Josh Levo last year playing with Elias Pedersen. The thing that I didn't like about that situation was just the passing ability. I mean, if you're going to have your best scorers on the ice, I would love to have my best passers passing them the puck. And that's pretty much the situation where I want Goldobin to be in. And right now he's in the AHL. He's dominating. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. He gets to pull some extra moves in the AHL. He gets to set up some beautiful goals if he's playing with Reed Boucher or Colin or Berchi on the power play. And, and the comments are a lot of fun to watch because these guys have a future in the NHL. I think a lot of them do. And, and just seeing what they're able to do at the AHL level at such a young age uh, and have the future, it, it's a lot of fun. And I, I, I don't know what the future is for Goldobin in Vancouver, but I do still think it's bright a little bit. Yeah, I think one of the big issues for Goldobin to kind of be a mainstay on the Canucks current roster is I think in order for him to be an effective NHLer, he has to be in the top six. He's almost kind of falling, in my opinion, almost like a Reed Boucher, where he's dominant in the AHL, but he's not quite good enough to make a club's top six in the NHL. And I kind of think Goldie needs to be in that top six and definitely be getting power play one or power play two minutes. Um, one thing that I did see people mention today, because there was a transaction uh, from the Detroit Red Wings, and that was Madison Bowie being placed on waivers. And I saw some right. people kind of, you know, mention, would you trade Goldie for Bowie, one for one? Uh, I know uh, Detroit's got a ton of injuries up front at the moment. Yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, Goldovin, I, I think that if, the trade that you're kind of talking about there is a guy that's a middling AHL to NHL player for another young guy that's a middling AHL to NHL player. And sometimes that helps the player so much. I'm sure you guys have seen a million cases where, where a guy gets traded and just the fact that he's in a different area playing with different teammates in a different situation can make a huge difference. So the value that Goldobin probably possesses still 
Now, obviously, it's not great, but I think that we might be able to get, you know, a different Nikolai Goldovin or maybe a defenseman version of Nikolai Goldovin, and we can have that player in our organization, and, and maybe there's a brighter future because, yeah, like you mentioned, and, and God, just seeing Cole win the way that he's playing, you have Sven Berchi, like these players are going to be taking those spots in the years to come, and even if you look at the situation directly on this day, I mean, Justin Bailey just scored today uh, for the Yuka Comets, and Berchi's down there setting up that goal. I mean, both of those players are, are probably fighting with Goldovin on the depth charts to be called up anyways. Then you have guys like Francis Perron. Like, there, there's a lot of guys that could be called up in the bottom six roles. And if you look at a top six role, even if the, if the Canucks were to lose Nikolai Goldovin, like you guys mentioned, Reed Boucher's up there. He's got 17 goals in his first 19 games. Like, that's, that's incredible to do in possibly the second-best league in the world. So maybe he's an option if we do need to call up for someone to play in the top six. So there's there's a lot of options in the AHL. And, and honestly, like looking at it from a step back, I think that's one of the biggest differences on this team from the years past looking to this year is there's legitimate guys that can be called up from the AHL. I mean, it's, these guys are NHL players. Like Sven Berti is an NHL player. Reed Boucher probably could play in the NHL on a lot of teams. But the fact that he's down in the AHL doing what he's doing, the Canucks should be happy and confident in what they have in their AHL team. And, and I don't think they could have said that for a long time. I've, I've talked about it. The only time they were really confident in their AHL team was, you know, even to throw back to Alex Burroughs and Ryan Kessler and Kevin Biesta and Nolan Baumgartner. When those guys were on the Manitoba Moose, that was a hell of an AHL team. And I think just, you know, the coverage that we get from guys like Corey Hergott and the fact that we can actually tune in and, and, you know, have a vested interest in this AHL team with the Utah Comets right now. It's just so exciting for the whole organization. Yeah, and it's been a long time since most Canucks fans can name a good chunk of the Utica Comets team. Another forward that was in that whole winger discussion that we didn't even mention was Zach McEwen. He's another guy who's right in the mix as well with Goldie. Um, Chris, we're going to have to let you go here pretty soon. But before we let you go, the Leafs are in town tomorrow night. What are uh, your thoughts of when the Leafs roll into town and uh, when the Canucks have to play them? It's generally a pretty divided building. Have you ever been to a Canucks-Leafs game in person before? Uh, I haven't been to one in person, no, but uh, I definitely, uh, you know, I actually like, just like, scrolled through Twitter and scrolled through Reddit today. I was seeing a lot of people just saying, like, if you're in the arena, you know, like, scream as loud as you can. Don't sell your tickets to these damn Leafs fans. And it's... You know, it's obviously a circus everywhere the Leafs go, no matter whether it be Vancouver or Carolina or Florida. I'm sure Leaf fans are going to turn up. And uh, as West Coasters, we don't like that very much. So, you know, obviously waking up every day and seeing Sports Center in the first 20 minutes of talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs or, you know, what their captain had for lunch that day isn't the greatest thing to see on TSN every single day. But, you know, that's, that's probably why we, we kind of hate Toronto Maple Leaf fans as a whole. I mean, the center of the universe is, uh, is definitely the thing that uh, Canucks fans like to hate on. Well, and that's why we turn to people like you and Canucks Army for, for content because it's it's much more relevant. We don't need to know exactly, like you said, what Mitch Marner drove to work in that day or what color suit <laughs> Austin Matthews is wearing. We, we need it can't rely on the traditional TSN sports nets anymore. But again, Chris, thanks, yeah. for, com thanks for coming on, man. We, uh, we really appreciate all the help you've given us uh, in getting our cast going as well. For people out there, if you're not following Chris yet, you really should, is handle Chris Favor 39 Also, the Canucks Conversation podcast is excellent and kind of helped us out a lot in getting things going. And you can find them at Canucks Convo. Yeah, man. Again, Chris, thanks again for coming on our podcast. And thanks again for answering some of our questions before Pete and I got started about, you know, recording things and just little random questions we had. You've been honestly a beacon of support to everybody in the community. Uh, we talked to the PP1 guys and they said you helped them out a lot as well, man. And 
yeah, man, I know we had a little bit of a meltdown on Friday, but I think overall <laughs> the, the Canucks fans are actually really, really helpful to one another and for the most part very respectful for one another, and you're one of the top guys, man. Thank you. Yeah, well, absolutely, guys. And it's, like, it, it, I think it's the least I could do is try to help people out in these certain situations. Uh, you know, I, I've obviously been, I've been podcasting for three years plus. That conversation wasn't the first one I was doing. I was on a different one before that. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of stuff that I had questions that I asked, you know, people like J.D. Burke when he was starting off with uh, Rink Wide and he was setting up a podcast. And guys like Justin Morris, that's a real good show. I mean, a lot of these guys helped me. And I think, you know, with, with the passing of Jason Bosford, I think the least I can do is try and help guys with the information that I do have. So I'm happy to help you guys with anything. And, and anybody else that is, you know, thinking about starting up a podcast or thinking about starting up writing, I always tell people that my DMs are open. Uh, you know, if you have a big article or a big podcast episode, I'd love to have you on my show as a guest and we can plug it there and talk about it. So, uh, yeah, happy to help everyone. And I appreciate you guys just uh, giving me a little shout out there at the end. That's uh, always nice to hear. Right on, man. You're definitely carrying uh, the Botchford torch there. We appreciate it. And thanks again for coming on, man. We'll chat soon. Thanks, boys. Talk to you later. All right. Cheers. It's that time again for the free pour open floor section of the podcast. So um, today we don't have a whiskey to drink because we had some technical difficulties with our first uh, recording location. So we had to double back and come to the office to record this episode. Yeah, who does renovations above an apartment at what, four in the afternoon on a Monday? Come on. Yeah, it was a... It was, uh, it was kind of annoying. Pete and I were scrambling to figure out what to do. We went into like four different spots in our build, in the off- building we work at. And finally we commandeered uh, our uh, tour guide uh, office. And uh, yeah, so here we are. So we don't have a whiskey to drink today, unfortunately. But I'm going to jump right into it. And I might be a little bit late to the party. But uh, my fiance and I, we just started watching uh, The Boys on Amazon Prime. And man... What a great show. I believe we're five or six episodes in. Uh, A total new take on superheroes and kind of what I would think to be an actual more realistic take on superheroes and the fact that, you know what, there probably would be a lot more random superhero on normal people casualties by accident. And just overall, it's it's a pretty funny show. It's got some great... Great moments, memorable moments. I believe uh, the trailer to season two just dropped as well, so I'm sure all of you have already watched it. But if you're not, if you haven't, definitely check out the boys. Well, I haven't watched it, so uh, maybe I should. I also like to point out that the office that we've stolen today—they're uh, both Leafs fans. Uh, I I don't actually think Mike's uh, got. I don't think he officially has a, has a team. He well, is an Ontario boy. And he's a big Raptors fan, but I don't think he's actually a Leafs fan. Well, Corey's definitely a Leafs fan. Yes, we know they don't listen to this podcast, so we can talk about them. <laughs> um, what am I talking about? I oh yes, I am talking about the goal song for the Canucks. It has grown on me a lot, and I think it's going to grow on anyone who's not sure when we get to the playoffs and we're all going hey 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 it's got that kind of thing that the other goal songs around the league i think in new york and chicago as well two places where i've seen games they got that goal song that gets the crowd all into it it's grown on me if it hasn't grown on you i think it will and if it hasn't yet wait until the playoffs this might be my favorite 
free pour open floor segment you've done, Pete, because you know how I felt about the previous goal song. And I agree. <laughs> it's definitely, I've always personally liked the song, but it definitely has grown on me a lot more as well. And I think going to the Burroughs game and chanting, hey, 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 you know, for the first four, uh, for the first four goals in the first period. Uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I agree, man. It's uh, bring on the Van Halen. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 17, just about in the books. Just kind of a quick programming announcement. We're going to be dropping episodes moving forward on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. It's kind of dependent on the Canucks schedule. We don't record on nights when the Canucks play. So when a lot of Tuesday games right now means we record Mondays, release Tuesdays. So those of you waiting eagerly Wednesday morning for us to drop, well, hey, check again. You may already be online. And thanks again to Chris Faber for joining us. Uh, please give Chris a follow at ChrisFaber39. He's also the host of the Canucks Conversation podcast. Give that a follow at Canucks Convo. And he's also writing for Canucks Army. So he's uh, one of the more prolific uh, Canucks fans in the community. And uh, yeah, shout out to Chris, man. Appreciate all the support you've given us uh, while Pete and I are getting this uh, whole thing going. A Swiss Army knife. Uh, Swiss Army. All right. You can follow us uh, on Twitter too. Uh, Canucks Speak is the Canucks Speakeasy podcast. Uh, I'm at Pete underscore Gas. And I'm at Doug Venn, V E N N. And also give our Spotify playlist a listen. Uh, the song, again, you're hearing right now. We're going to be adding that when the episode drops tomorrow to the Spotify playlist. Uh, so, yeah, give us a follow there. Our ever growing playlist is going to continue to grow as we drop episodes. And as always, guys, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.